0: So we're, um, summer, summer seems to be kind of the wedding season. Uh, I, I like that. I, I performed a wedding yesterday for one of our couples. Uh, I'm doing a wedding next Sunday. Straight after service. I thought it would freak you out if I wore a suit, so I'll keep that in my office and change after service. Uh, It's like, hey, we came to the wrong place. So I got a wedding next week. I talked this morning before service to a couple whose wedding I'm doing Labor Day weekend. I've got another wedding before that in August. I I love it. I I love doing weddings. I, I just love because, you know what? When you're officiating a wedding, you have the best seat in the house. You are right up there, and they are right here, and, and, and you have the very best view of everything that goes on, and the glances back and forth. It's a fabulous place to be in. I don't know how many weddings I've done over the years, but it must have been, uh, I guess we must be into the thousands, I don't know. So, uh, But I love doing them. I've learned a few things about relationships too. and. Uh, For those of you who might be younger or looking to get into a relationship, here's some wisdom from a 72-year-old man. Uh, Here's what I've discovered about relationships. Relationships basically operate on three levels. They start with what I call the veneer level, where both parties are nice as pie, right? What would you like to do today? Anything you like. It's like they're lying through their teeth, but that's, that, that's where the relationship starts at, right? And, and everybody's good, and everybody's controlled, and the veneer level. And the veneer level can go on for varying lengths of time. But then after the veneer level, you come down to the reality level. So the reality level is a little bit different, like, she talks a lot, it's annoying, right? Or... Or he's always late for everything. That's, that's kind of the... He's forever just watching baseball is all he wants to do. And like, she always wants to watch The Bachelorette. God help me. You know, it's, it's, it's... You know, and then you... So then you come to the reality level. And at the reality level is where some relationships just don't go any further. It's like, this ain't going to work. But there's a third level, and it's a level of commitment. And the commitment level is, I know she talks a lot and likes the bachelorette, but I love her, and I want to be with her. And I know he's a pain in the neck at times, and he's a Yankees fan, but I love him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Living dangerously, <laughs> right? And there's the commitment. The commitment says, I know how he is, I know how she is, but I want to be with him or her for the rest of my life. That's the commitment level. When you find out what they really like. Now all that to say this, it is a sad statement that there are some people who feel or who have been in a relationship with God for a long time, but they still don't really know what God's like. They still don't really know what God's like. They they still haven't fully grasped the nature of the God we serve. And and, and that's my introduction to what for now is our final look in in, in the book of Judges. We're going to jump forward from where we were last week in Judges chapter 3. And we're going to come to Judges chapter 10 and verse 6, which makes a statement if you've been here the last number of weeks. You've heard this statement before. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Some of you remember that? Because that goes on and on right through the book of Judges. It is a recurring history of the people of Israel doing evil, getting in a difficult position, asking God to help them. God sends a leader, a judge to deliver them. Everything's fine for a period of years until again... The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They served the Baals and the Ashtoreths and the gods of Aram, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites, and the gods of the Philistines. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that God's people were worshiping these idols, but what it means is they had adopted the values associated with these idols. They were surrounded by them, they lived in a messed up land and they took on the values of the godless people around them. And what we're saying in this series is you and I live in a godless land and we must beware we do not take on board the values of the godless people around us. And here's where that led then. The next verses, verse seven and eight. So God became angry with them He sold them into the hands of the Philistines and the Ammonites, who that year, look at this, shattered and crushed them. For 18 years they oppressed all the Israelites. Now, I want to point out something to you here, and that is that in verse 6 of this chapter, it says that, that they served the gods of the Ammonites and the gods of the Philistines. Okay, I want you to notice that. They served the gods of the Ammonites and Philistines. Then I want you to know what comes next. God sold them into the hands of the Philistines and the Ammonites who that year shattered and crushed them. Take my word for it. Through the book of Judges, the, when God's people began to serve the idols of another nation, that nation ended up oppressing them. When they embraced the ways of other gods and of other peoples, those peoples ended up hurting them and being their enemies. And let me just remind you all of this. Sin starts with amusement, but it becomes your master. In fact, sin leads to devastation. Sin starts looking good. I said this the other week. If sin didn't look good, we wouldn't get trapped by it. Is that a fair comment? Right? So sin starts looking good. It starts with amusement, but it leads to devastation. And you can put that into any context you want. Whatever it might start with, but what becomes your ultimate master then is something that can destroy you. I, I remember the first time I ever went into a pub. I was 17 years old, back in England, right? Uh, you weren't allowed to drink till you are 21. I was 17 years old, and I'm, you know, I'm a high schooler, and I, you know, all, the, all the guys are talking about sort of what they did, and where they drank, and that all weekend, you know? And, and so, I'm thinking, I've never drank beer. I wonder what it's like. So, one night after a prayer meeting, Okay? So, come on. Some of you, some of you, you really, you, the light switch went on and said, Lord, he is human after all. So, so, one night after a prayer meeting, I'm walking home and, we, and I'm, I'm passing this pub and I'm thinking, I, I wonder if I'll go in and if they'd serve me. Now, I've always looked a lot older than I am, like today. <laughs> right? Right? So, so even though I was 17, I looked a lot older. So I, I went in, in, in British pubs. I don't know if they still do it. There was generally a, a little room called the snug. The snug was like a back quiet room where generally the old ladies went and drank. So I figured I'm not going to go in the bar in case anybody who knows me sees me. I'm going to go down the back and around and in the snug. So I go in the snug. There's nobody there. I walk up to the bar. I say, a pint of bitter, please. I've got no idea what that is, but I've seen them in movies and on TV, right? I've got no idea what that is. So, pint of bitter, please. So, the guy pours me this beer, and an English pint is 20 fluid ounces as opposed to 16 here. So, I've got this 20, flu, 20 fluid ounces. Bitter is a stronger beer than the soda pop lagers that are popular nowadays, right? So, so, so I've got this 20, and I, and, and, and I sit down at a table, and I sip away, sip away. Sip away, I finish it, my head's beginning to spin a little bit. <laughs> and I think, well, I better get home. So I pop a mint in my mouth so my mother won't smell it, and uh, I smell the beer, and then I, th- then I, then I head home. I, and I'm heading home, and my head's spinning, and I'm thinking, I didn't really like the taste of that stuff even. And I feel weird. I think I'm done. And that was it for me. It sounded like fun to see if I could go in, get served, have a beer, you know? And it's like, yeah. was. But the trouble is, for some people, alcohol becomes the start of a long, slippery road till it's controlling them. And when it's controlling you, it's wrong. It's sin. It's going to spoil your life. It starts out looking good. If it didn't, look good, we wouldn't do it. But here's the harsh reality. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 12. There is a way that looks harmless enough. Look again. It leads straight to hell. And you can, put that, you can put that scripture, apply that scripture to any, anything that might pull you in, in, in a wrong direction. That, that It might look harmless enough. It's okay for me. Uh, you know, I, you know, it's not going to bother me. It's not going to get a hold of me. Whatever it is you might be speaking about. But the fact is this. You can go down a way that looks harmless enough. But if you aren't careful, it leads to hell. Sin leads to devastation. The Israelites worship the gods of the Amorites and the Philistines and then the next thing that happened is the Amorites and the Philistines crushed them. Warning to anyone here today who needs to hear it, sin will destroy you. Don't play with fire. It's a reality. It's a reality. Proverbs 3 verse 5 says this, the lips of a seductive woman are oh so sweet. Her words are oh so smooth, but it won't be long before she's gravel in your mouth, a pain in your gut, a wound in your heart. She's dancing down the primrose path to death. She's headed straight for hell and taking you with her. And that's what illicit sex will do. It'll look really good to start with, but it'll take you down a path that leads to to death. Sin looks good. That's why it says in Hebrews chapter 11, 25 about Moses, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the, notice the next phrase, the fleeting pleasure, nobody's arguing about that, the fleeting pleasure of sin. And some translations add on that for a moment, for a season. The fleeting pleasure of sin of sin. So Israel got caught up with the gods of the Amorites and the Philistines and God let them be crushed. In fact, here's, here's, here's what He says. It says, God exploded in hot anger and he sold them off to the Ammonites and the Philistines. God just let them go. Now, does that mean God had forgotten them, forsaken them? No, it's just that God says, okay, you want to go that way, that's the way you can go. You belong to them. What they say, what they want, goes. I remember when we were getting ready to move to uh, Long Island. We put our house uh, in Scotland on, on the market, we sold our house there, and, and then, We were still around over there. We stayed with Joe's brother and his wife and family for a few more weeks till we actually came over here. Uh, We heard the news. The couple who bought our house went in, and they totally took down a beautiful natural stone fireplace we'd had built. It was beautiful. Cost a lot. Looked really good. But one of the first things they'd done is they'd torn it down. And when I first heard that, I thought, what? What? They... Why'd they do that? They shouldn't do that. And then I had the realization, it's not my house anymore. They can do what they want to do. And that's what God did with Israel. He said, hey, my hands are off you. Your enemies can do what they want to do. And they were left to the mercy of the Philistines and the Ammonites because God said, go ahead, you do your thing. And some of you have been there in life where You got to a point where what was actually going on was God was saying, okay, not my circus. Some of you might be there right now. You've gone down a road that hasn't been pleasing to God or helpful to you, and then of course you turn around and say, well, where's God? You know, why isn't God helping me? And the truth is, God hasn't totally abandoned you, but he's let you do what you wanted to do. Well, why didn't God stop me? Two words free will. Free will. God's not a puppeteer pulling the strings. We're not robots that He controls. God gives us free will to make our choices, and choices have repercussions. Just a warning this morning to you all. Sin leads to devastation, and ultimately it will master you unless… Or until you embrace a stronger master. And so what happened after that then was this it was the same old story, right? Judges 10, verse 10. The people of Israel cried out to God for help. We've sinned against you. We left our God and worshipped the Baal God. Now, what I want you to notice here is deliverance comes with conditions. God is always ready to accept us. God is always ready to forgive us. But here's what I noticed from from Judges chapter 10, and that is that deliverance comes with conditions. So, the people of Israel cried out to God, we've sinned against you. And here's God's reply, verse 13, God says, you've gone off and betrayed me, worshiping other gods. Listen to this, I'm not saving you anymore. Uh Uh-oh. Go ahead. Cry out for help to the gods you've chosen. Let them get you out of the mess you're in. Oh. Where are we now? Now, when our kids were small, they'd get into trouble now and again. I mean, only very rarely. They were so angelic, both of them. But... uh, (laughs) but they get in trouble. And you know what? You find your child doing something they shouldn't do, and, and immediately the, you know, the response was, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Now, they weren't sorry at all. They were sorry you'd found them out, and they were sorry they were going to face the consequences, right? You, you know where I'm coming from there, right? So it's a, that's how sorry they were. And that's how sorry Israel apparently was. It's like, God, I'm sorry. You know, we're really sorry. We're really sorry. We're having a hard time and we're really sorry. And God says, too bad. Whoa. It's almost like I can hear my mother saying, you got yourself into this. You can get yourself out of it. And then they, But then they go back to, they, they, they cry to God again. Chapter 16, verse 15, the people of Israel said to God, we've sinned, do to us whatever you think best, but please get us out of this. Look next. Then they cleaned house of the foreign gods and worshiped only God, and God took Israel's troubles to heart. When Israel came back to God and said, we really need your help, and they got rid of the things that were causing the complications in their lives, then when that happened, it says God took Israel's troubles to heart. You know what that's called? There's a Bible word for that. It's repentance. There's a whole world of difference between saying, God, I'm really sorry, because I'm sorry I got caught something and my life's in a real mess right now, That's, you know, there's a difference between that and saying to God, I'm sorry, in the sense of, I finished with that. I've done with that. That, That's why I'm saying that deliverance comes with conditions. When our repentance comes from our hearts and not from our lips when we're genuinely sorry about what we've got into and want to turn away from that, God always hears us. And more than that, God always helps us as well. But repentance is not just words. Repentance is a state of heart and it's a state of mind. The Bible word for repent uh, is simply can be very simply translated as to turn around. You're going in one direction. Repentance is turning around and saying, I'm going in another direction. Deliverance comes with conditions. And so what happened was that God pre- started to prepare the way for, 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 for a deliverer. So the people of Israel started to look for someone who could help them. And in chapter 11, verse 1, and they were... We're coming to the judge we're looking at today. In case any of you was wondering, that was the introduction, okay? Now, no, it's good. We're, we're good. So, so, uh, so, here we go now. Here's somebody that a lot of you may not even heard of before. Judges 11. Jephthah the Gileadite. Oh, let's try that again. Jephth- I was doing good with the big names, come on. Jephthah the Gileadite was one tough warrior. He was the son of a whore, but Gilead was his father. Okay. So, yeah, here's Jephthah's Jephthah's story. I mean, that that was his background. His father was somebody significant, but his mother was a prostitute. And so what had happened with Jephthah was that when he was young, his brothers had kicked him out of the house because they didn't want him to have any part of their family or whatever else, and certainly ultimately didn't want him to have any part of the inheritance because, man, you know, their mother was not his mother. His mother had been a prostitute. So so Jephthah ends up leading a bunch of bandits in the middle of nowhere, living off his wits, stealing to survive, and Israel realized this is just the person we need. He was street smart. He was tough. This is a great book, by the way. I recommend reading it. (laughs) There are some fabulous stories in here, not just the 23rd Psalm. There's a lot of stuff in here. There really is. So, So here's the deal. So he's street smart. He's tough. He's resourceful. So, they go to him and say, will you come and help us? And Jephthah says, there's one condition. Okay, deliverance comes with conditions. Jephthah says, there's one condition. If I lead Israel to victory over its enemies, then I must become your leader, your judge. And they said, okay. You know, one of the things I love about this, and we've, we've hit on this before, looking here in the book of Judges, is, is you know what, God... Caught, God chooses the most unlikely people. Right? That's why you and I are here this morning. Tell the truth. Right? God chooses the most… You know, I mean, we don't have all our ducks… Or maybe you do. All right? I don't have all my ducks in a row. And I got a good idea that none of us has. We're all a work in progress, aren't we? But God chooses and uses the most unlikely of people. He wasn't educated. He didn't have an impressive background. He was a reject son of a hooker with the most questionable resume imaginable. That was him. That's Jephthah. But I want you to notice this. Deliverance comes with two conditions. And if we really want to, if you're in a position today where you say, I want to get out of some of the stuff that's holding me down, there are two conditions. Number one is repentance. Number two is, you've got to recognize a different master. Jephthah said, if I deliver you, then I've got to become the judge right and the way you find deliverance from sin from its grip from its consequences is you yield your life to a greater master and that master is Jesus that's where you find freedom you find freedom when you hand everything over every, and say, God, here I am. I give you my life in its entirety. I want you to be my God, you to be my Lord, you to be my master, and deliverance comes in that moment. There are two conditions. One is I say, God, I'm willing to leave my sin, and the second is, God, I want you to be the master of my life. So, Jephthah becomes the leader of their armies and leads them into battle. And and there's a strange twist in the story of Jephthah, a really strange twist. Okay, long story short, he led the Israelis to, 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 to victory over their enemies. He brought them victory. And he became their leader. But what Jephthah had not realized, and this is a a lesson for us all to grasp from this story, is that depending on grace alone brings salvation. God's forgiveness, God's gift of eternal life, is not earned, it is received, it's given. Here's the weird twist in the story of Jephthah, chapter 11, verse 30. Jephthah made a vow before God, if you give me a clear victory over the Ammonites, then I'll give to God whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in one piece from among the Ammonites. I'll offer it up in a sacrificial burnt offering. Okay. That's the promise he makes to God. If you give me victory, I'll sacrifice the first thing that comes out of my house. Verse 34, Jephthah came home to Mizpah. God gave him victory. His daughter ran from the house to welcome him home, dancing with tambourines. She was his only child. He had no son or daughter except her. God, if you give me victory, I'll sacrifice to you the first thing that meets me coming out of my door. And he goes home, and his only daughter runs out to meet him. It's a sobering story, but I want you to get the truth from this. Because the Bible says in verse 39, he did what he'd vowed to the Lord. So he made a human sacrifice of his only daughter. What the heck? And you you know what that just suggests to me? That Jephthah, good leader as he was, was still very much impacted by the culture that he lived in. Because in the culture that he lived in and amongst some of these other gods of the people, human sacrifice was okay. And apparently Jephthah had had the, the, the ideas and the values of these other cultures deeper ingrained in him than anyone would have realized. He was still influenced by these heathen cultures that he'd lived among. Now, he knew. He, he, he knew Scripture. He had Scripture. Jephthah would have had the first five books of the Old Testament. He knew what they said. Deuteronomy 12, 31. You must not worship the Lord your God in their way, because in worshiping their God, they do all kinds of detestable things that the Lord hates. They even burn their sons and daughters in the fire as sacrifices to God. Now, Jephthah knew that God said that human sacrifices were detestable. And and he knew that from Old Testament scripture that he had it that time, but, but you know, if he hadn't known it from there, he should have known it from his internal compass, surely. Surely something inside of him should have told him, you can't do that. And this story, Today for you and me is, a, is a, a major warning for us to make sure our values are still not being impacted by the evil of the culture that we live in. And if we're not careful, we can be more affected by it than we actually realize. It's easy for us to allow society's standards to filter into our own minds. It's broken values. We live in a messed up land, and we've gotta be careful that we don't let our culture's broken values about life, about family, about sex, about money, about integrity, to shape our own values. We have gotta be careful. He was a man who became the leader of God's people, brought a major victory to them, but there was this huge thing that he still had some of the values of the most godless people that he lived among. Listen, folks, if you know the Lord today, God has called us to be different, not better, different than those around us. He's called us to be people who let our light shine in the darkness of this world. In fact, God wants the light that shines through us to impact the darkness. But the tragedy is that too often the darkness affects the light and snuffs it out. Be careful. Be careful that the values around us Don't impact your thinking and your behaviors. Romans 12, 2 puts it this way. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold, but let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good, meets all His demands, and move towards the goal of true maturity. Don't let this world squeeze you into its own mold. So the way the story of Jephthah ends reminds us or indicates that he was very much impacted by the godlessness around him. The the other thing is this. It reminds us That the religions that he lived among had shaped his thinking so that he viewed God as a God who needed to be appeased, pleased, bargained with, rewarded. And here's where I'm coming right back to. Some of you might remember, I, I started about two hours ago with this, right? I, I, I started with this, you see. If we're not careful, we can have a wrong view of God. And, and what it, had what it happened with Jephthah was that Jephthah, he felt that he had to do something. God, if you will bless me with victory, I will make a sacrifice to you. Listen, I just want to make this 100% clear. I want to reiterate it. There's nothing you need to give to God to get the favor of God. There's nothing that you can give to God to pay God back for His goodness. And I'm saying that because some of you, a lot of you, are from church religious backgrounds that kind of really, really impress on you the things you've got to be doing constantly to please God, the things that are important to make God happy. And you've got to do this, and you've got to do this, and you've got to do this. You you know what? Uh, Everything we get from God, we get because of the grace of God. Jephthah didn't have to go there. He didn't need to go there. He didn't have to say to God, if you give me victory, I'll make a sacrifice. All he had to say to God was, God, please give me victory. God didn't need his sacrifice. God wasn't asking for his sacrifice. God wasn't asking for anything. And to bring that forward into the context of where you and I are today, I want to make this totally clear, that to receive the benefits of the blessing of God, to receive the gift of eternal life, to receive everything else that God gives us alongside the blessing of salvation, you don't have to do anything just to open your heart to God. You can never buy it. You can never earn it. You could never discern it. You can never deserve it. That's not what it's about. God, if you will do this, I will do that. I've heard so many Christians say that. It's like, stop it. Stop it. That doesn't work. You don't need to bargain with God. God, if you will just heal my sister, i Stop it. God, please heal my sister. It's good. Leave it there. Leave it there. He doesn't need a bribe. You don't need to make promises with it. You just need to make your needs and your requests known to God. 1 Peter 3 and verse 18 Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. Jesus did it all. Jesus did it all. Jephthah was so impacted by the pagan culture of having to appease the gods. And the reality is this. We don't need to do that. Because Jesus paid the price in full. That's so difficult yet so vital to grasp. Salvation is God's free gift. Every blessing that comes following salvation is God's free gift. Right? We sing a song sometimes that says, I didn't earn it, I don't deserve it. And and, and that's that's the truth. It's the truth. Don't let your image of God get distorted by the crazy world we live in. Make sure the God you're talking to is still this God. Make sure the God that you are serving is still this God. We don't live under a cloud where we've got a hope we'll get his blessing. We live under His love, and we live under His mercy. The story of Jephthah reminds us, we've got to be careful we don't let the values of a messed up land still linger in our thinking. And the story of Jephthah reminds us, we're loved by God, period, period. Chosen by God, period. Favored by God, period. And that's the end of the matter. Nothing for me to add, nothing for me to bring, nothing I've got to do. And if you're here this Sunday morning, if you're watching us online just now, and you're in a position where you don't really know God for yourself, I want to tell you, you can know the freedom of a child of God. You don't have to. There's just, there's just a couple of simple things. The one is you turn around from where you're going and say, God, I want to go in a different direction, and I want you to be the master of my life. That's it. That's it. If we confess our sin, He's faithful, He's just, He forgives our sin, He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Lift your head up High. Get out from under the cloud and recognize you are loved tremendously by God and that will never, ever change. Amen. Let's pray together.